Tanks are pouring from the buildings now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. official podcast of firestormfan.com and the aquamanshrine.com. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag, and with me today is a very very funky after dark Mr. Rob. Can you say hello, Rob? Hello, Shag. How you doing? Hear that, guys? Oh yeah. <laughs> He's got gravitas going on. Yeah, if if I mean gravitas, you mean the onset of a cold, then yes, it's gravitas. <laughs> well, folks, Happy, and, and to you, Rob, Happy New Year. Thank you. To you as well. We are sitting here on the other side of 2011, folks, our first podcast of 2012. And uh, we're also sitting here with a stack of comic books. Did you pick up any, Rob? Uh, yes. As, uh, as uh, usual, I picked up uh, Aquaman, of course, and Firestorm, and uh, a couple other of my favorites, including All-Star Western. But that's the subject for another podcast, the All-Star Western podcast. You know what was uh, my favorite holiday comic? No. Daredevil. I'm not kidding. Daredevil is so good. It's, uh, you know, DC relaunched 52 books. Marvel relaunched, like, one. <laughs> and they did it so right. Oh, Daredevil's such a good book. Who does that book now? Uh, Mark Wade. Oh, really? Writing. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, honestly, I cannot remember the artist teams. They've had a couple different artists, but they're, they have this really cool style. Uh, and it's, it's uh, Daredevil's come out of the dark. And he's, he's no longer the in-a-funk, depressed kind of daredevil. It's a good book. But that's not what we're here to talk no, about today. No, no, it's not. So sorry about that. Okay. So um, we thought we would start off the podcast. Now that 2011 has closed, we thought we'd start off by just hitting a couple of quick highlights from 2011, for our, uh, particularly for Aquaman and Firestorm. You know, either stuff from our blog or just things with the character in general. Uh, Rob, you want to kick us off? Well, yeah. Uh, I mean... Pretty clearly, uh, 2011 was the best year for uh, Aquaman that he's probably ever had. <laughs> uh, maybe you could count 1967, which was the debut of the Filmation cartoon, which really sort of set him on the path of becoming, um, uh, you know, like a big part of the pop culture. Because because of the Filmation cartoon, he ended up becoming the subject of merchandising, which was the first time that had ever happened, and he ended up. Uh, in the, with his own show and they had the super friend that that led to the super friends and that led to you know everything that you're that were you know that followed so uh, so other than 1967 I mean, you could really argue this was the best year the character ever had going from being completely dormant in the dcu just a couple of years ago to not only headlining his own book but headlining his own best-selling book Woo! and yes and headlining his own best-selling book by you know some of DC's top creators. Uh, I mean, TV Guide did an interview with Jeff Johns about Aquaman. Just Aquaman. That's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, I mean, what, the, that's pretty, that is. So um, he, he's had an amazing year, and we're very fortunate that the, the you know, the Shrine was able to uh, ride that wave, uh, as it were. Um, 
and you know, be be kind of in the bright place at the right time uh, for for all this great attention. We've had, um, um, you know, we had some some great moments uh, during the last week of the year. We did a, a, a the, an Aquaman Shrine Best of 2011 week, which was like the first time we ever did that. Um, uh, sort of going back and, and digging up some old posts that we thought were really significant. So we of course had the the 70th birthday celebration, which was, that was another big thing, you know, in 2011, he turned 70 and he got his own book and he turned 70. Um, so we had the birthday post and we had an interview with Jeff Johns and, um, the shrine celebrated its fifth anniversary. And we had, uh, we got a chance, the shrine got a chance to meet the art team or, or at least two thirds of it, um, in person. And we just did an interview with uh, Joe Prado and Rod Reese just last week. So, uh, you know, we had a great year. We had a great year in terms of, uh, like, DC acknowledging our existence to this point. Before that, they really hadn't. Um, but I think we kind of got so, I don't know, man, I don't want to toot my own horn a little, but I think the Shrine got so significant within the, the sort of sub-sub-subculture of Aquaman that maybe DC finally decided, you know, we can't, like, you know, we'll just finally acknowledge their existence. So they started, <laughs> they started linking to us and mentioning us on the DC blog and, you know, stuff that had not happened at all in the past four years. So, uh, you know, I would I would say that the Shrine had its best year and luckily it coincided with Aquaman having his best year. It was great all around and, uh, you know, looking for 2012 to be even better. That's great. You know, it's funny, we, we've talked about before the fact that both of us, when we individually started our blogs, uh, our characters were dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you started Aquaman when it was sort of Atlantis, so Arthur was dead at that point. Yep. Um, I started Firestorm Fan when Ronnie was dead, and Jason was pretty much not appearing anywhere, really. Um, and now here we're just the other side of 2011, and things are, it's a very different scenario now. Yeah, it's amazing how much can change in a very short period of time. 2011 for Firestorm was, it was a really interesting sort of split year. It started off with Brightest Day, and by the end of Brightest Day, we had a unified Firestorm of Ronnie and Jason. And that had been something that, you know, the fans had argued about Ronnie and Jason for years, who was better, who was not. Um, it, it was a very div- divisive point with the fans, who liked Ronnie, who liked Jason. And here we were presented with a Firestorm that was both of them. Both of them got, you know, time as Firestorm. And, it, you know, we looked like we were on a solid path to uh, with that Firestorm. It was very exciting. And then um, we get, you know, later in the year, there's the new series, obviously. You know, we're four issues in. We've got a all-star creative team, and it's a completely different Firestorm continuity now, which makes it even more interesting because now we're exploring a whole new whole new world. Meanwhile, uh, Firestorm appeared again on Brave and the Bold. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't his first appearance. That was a, a while ago, but he did appear again on Brave and the Bold, so there he was in animation. So it's, um, he, got a, he, got, he got a Happy Meal toy this year. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know you've made it when you've got a Happy Meal toy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sorry, but like you, know, you and Kelson uh, from Speed Force, you know, you're all taking it for granted like, oh, another Happy Meal toy. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> of course you've got gobs of action figures. You know, but Firestorm was like, who knew? So uh, very exciting for, for us matchheads that we had a lump of plastic that sort of kind of almost looked like Firestorm from McDonald's. I'll know that it, I'll know that we have made it when we have the Ace Kilroy uh, Happy Meal toy. There it is. I, I can't wait. I can't wait for that. I want the Dracula one that goes with it. Yeah, that would uh, be great. Well, he's got to have a you know a series of villains. Comes with a ketchup packet for blood and stuff like that. <laughs> Uh, for the Firestorm fan side itself, it's been a great year. We have done uh, for personal highlights for me have been we've done a number of interviews uh, this year, which is really exciting because that's that's one of the things that I love about this is that it, without the blog, I never would have an opportunity to talk to these people, and um, you know, I, I I think it's, it's just really exciting for me. The fans really um, respond to it, so we've talked to this year Ethan Van Skyver, we've talked to Gail Simone, we talked to Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. Dr. John Ostringer, we talked to Stuart Moore, so a number of writers of Firestorm over the years. We even talked to Brian Clevenger, who um, was working on the Firestorm book before the changes came about. So, great group of creators we spoke with. Um, had a lot of really fun posts. I've had a good time with the site this year, and uh, <laughs> one of the things I enjoyed the most was April Fool's Day, when uh, changed the blog entirely to the Buana Beast blog. <laughs> <laughs> I admire your effort on that. I'm just too lazy every year to do it. But I, I admire that you showed the stick to itiveness to do it. It was a lot of fun, folks. If you're if you're interested, go out to uh, Firestorm Fan and, and search for the April first posts. There's a whole bunch of them, and the whole site looked different. And uh, anyway, it was fun. And, and actually, 
one of the posts continues to get a lot of attention because um, it had a, a photo of Buona Beast and a guy cosplaying Buona Beast, and he's with this insanely hot girl uh, who's cosplaying uh, Madeline Pryor, uh, who's the evil sort of Jean Grey from the X-Men universe. Oh, that's right. I was like, I knew that yeah. name, but I couldn't think of what it was. The Goblin Queen. Anyway, turns out the girl doing it is from a show called The Naked News. <laughs> and, uh, hmm. <laughs> and yes, it's exactly what it sounds like, uh, if, you're not, if you're not familiar with it. But um, because of her, that, that particular Buona Beast post keeps getting a huge number of hits. <laughs> I'm looking at the picture right now. <laughs> <laughs> That didn't take long, Rob. <laughs> oh, redheaded. Okay, right quick. Yeah, same. Right. Yep, if you're a fan of Mara, you should look this up. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so, great years uh, for Aquaman and Firestorm. Um, and 2012 is just, it looks like it's going to be even better. So, can't wait. Um, I, I am bound to determine this year, and as I say this, I'm putting myself on the hook then, but I am bound to determine to land an interview with uh, new Firestorm writer Joe Harris, and also artist Yildare Sonar. That's my plan. So. That'd, be, that'd be great. Yildare was great when I met him that one time, so I'm sure he'd be a great interview. Oh, he's so nice. So, All right. Well, um, folks, we've got new comics to talk about that just came out this week. Uh, Aquaman number four and Firestorm number four. So why don't we start with that guy that talks to fish? Yes. Uh, yes, Aquaman number four came out last Wednesday. Um, it's the conclusion, surprisingly, it's the conclusion of the trench storyline. I mean, at the, at the rate that the story was sort of being told, I really thought, oh, this is going to go on for like seven or eight issues, and then it wraps it all up in number four. So um, as much as I complained in the first three issues that the story was a bit protracted, I'm now going to do a 180 and complain the story was wrapped up too quickly. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, it was, you know, I kind of felt like, you know, they had almost done their job a little too well in making the trench like these really imposing um, nasty villains, and then like it all just they got got defeated kind of like quickly. I'm like, oh, oh okay, it's over. I'm like, all right. Um, that said, uh, you know, it, it was a fun conclusion, and um, uh, you know, and, and I guess maybe you could argue, you know, they're just a sort of bunch of slobbering monsters. You don't necessarily want to stretch this out forever. Um, the art, as always, by Reese, Ivan Reese, and Joe Prado, and Rod Reese is phenomenal. And there's clearly a couple of spots here where. Jeff Johns is um, sort of handing the reins to them to really deliver. And there's two different double-page spreads in the book that are really impressive. Uh, You know, great looking all around. And, um, you know, there's a lot of great little moments in it. Uh, I mean, there's, like, Aquaman and Mira have a debate about the trench. And Mira is sort of like, they're just killing machines. We should just kill them and get rid of them. And Aquaman's like, no, they're they're a... they're an endangered species. You know, I don't want to be responsible for exterminating an endangered species. And um, and then when he ends up having to kill some of the trench, he's sort of sorry that he has to do it, which, you know, I liked. I liked that little detail. He's he's never been one of the more bloodthirsty uh, of the superheroes, and that's something I always like. I mean, none of the, generally the DC heroes that I grew up with weren't, but him especially. And that's one of the things I always liked about the character, and I'm glad that Jeff Johns has retained that. Um and then, um, so anyway, they, they basically defeat the trench, and there's a there's a, a great moment of um, of sheer strength on display, and that is something that that was a power that I always have said that I thought um, should be uh, highlighted more is his strength because that's a great comic book power, you know. I mean, you can it's it's impressive to show off, and there's a, there's a point where uh, Aquaman basically shoves an entire chunk of undersea rock, like the entire side of a mountain underwater, into the crevice of this volcano and traps all the trench down deep, deep down, miles, miles down. And he just moves it all by himself. <laughs> and this is such a great, you know, sheer piece of, of, of just, you know, massive power that I really appreciated. Um, and then so him and Mira get away and they come back to the surface and at the end, um, uh, Aquaman and Mira get a dog. Uh, there's, a dog <laughs> there's a dog that was rescued from being in one of those trench pods. And um, he is uh, formerly the dog of one of the people who was killed by the trench. And so the cop says, well, why don't you take him? He seems to like you. So at the end, they keep the dog. And, uh, you know, I love that. I, I, I love animals. <laughs> and I love the idea that uh, Aquaman and Mira are trying to be more and more like kind of 
surface dwellers, and that's a very nuclear family type thing. They own a dog, so they get a dog at the end of the story. I, I, he's, they, the cop says uh, something like, why don't you call him Aqua Dog? And Timur's like, Aqua Dog? <laughs> and that's how they <laughs> leave it. Um, so that was a really cute ending. I mean, after kind of a dark couple of books, very violent, you know, a lot of, a lot of violence, it was nice to have kind of a silly, not mean silly, but just kind of a, a goofy ending there of, of uh, a brief tranquility of uh, Aquaman and Mira getting a pet. Um, don't let mana anywhere near it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and then it, it ends with um, this fun little thing, a one-page sort of teaser preview for what's coming up in the book. And it's not really part of the story proper. It's just sort of its own thing. It's like coming up in next year in, in Aquaman, and it talks about who really sank Atlantis. And I really like that. That seemed very old school to me to have this sort of like teaser trailer for what's for what's coming up in the series. Um, I really like that. I don't. I haven't seen that in any of the other books. Um, well, Jeff does that a lot, though. Does he? Okay. I'm oh not, yeah. I'm not um, that familiar with. It. I like it. I really liked it. Usually he does it in like issue number ones, though. Okay. Um, and usually it's like a one pager, and it's like a, a montage of different scenes of like. What the heck is all this? And it says like coming in the, coming this year. Oh, does it? Okay, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I really liked it. I really thought that was that was cute. So uh, I mean, I you know I thought it was great, a nice conclusion. I'm I'm glad maybe they're moving on to something else. Um, you know, you can always bring the trench back, obviously. Um, and you know, just a nice conclusion. The, the the art continues to just be amazing. Those guys are just absolutely killing it. And uh, you know the book is just a, just a just like a runaway success. It's it's one of their top DC's like top twenty sellers, which is just fantastic. And uh, you know I, I'm dying to see what else they got up uh, up their sleeves. I'm, I mean, no, in a couple issues there's going to be a solo solo Mira story, which ought to be great. And uh, you know he talked about in an interview we did that he's going to bring back one of the old villains, one of the I think he specifically mentioned like one of the more obscure villains, so that'll be fun. So, human uh, flying, fi- human, human flying, fish. flying fish. Yeah. Um, so you know, it'll just be great. It'll be. I'm just super looking forward to it. It's it's nice to have this to to after you know going so long of having no Aquaman to read at all. It's just great that like once a month you're gonna get this. You know, it, it's it's. And now I know what Batman fans feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that you're gonna have a successful book each month. Yes. <laughs> well, I um I really enjoyed this issue too. I thought it was very good. Uh, and I'm glad you pointed out, yes, the trench could come back. Because you were talking about how they kind of seem to get rid of them kind of quick. Well, yeah, there's no – nowhere does it say that this closes the book on them. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. They certainly could work into something later. Um, I'm just going to hit some different highlights and some notes I have here. Uh, I like the dog. I think the dog's cute. I think that it is a very clever idea to help link Aquaman and Mera to the land. You know, it's because that's one of the things the series is, is supposedly going to be about is them on land rather than in the water all right, the time. Right. And the dog just sort of cements that, that they are surface dwellers now. So um, I think you ought to have a naming contest on the shrine. That's but, a great yeah. – oh, shoot. That's a great <clears throat> idea. I mean, DC totally won't use it, but they no, should. No, uh, man. I gotta, I'm going to do that tomorrow. That's a great yeah. idea. Now tie it to the podcast because, like, you know, maybe we'll announce the winner here on the podcast or something. Yeah. Jeez. Hey, wow, Shag. Wow. Look at that. Look at that. <laughs> I, made a, I made a contribution to the shrine. All right. Ag- that, that is again. A great, again. Yeah, that is, that is a great idea. I'm going can to I have do a that. New foam, can I have a new foam certificate? You're gonna, it's the same one, but you can have a new one. I want my gif again. Um, I do got to say one thing about Aquaman here with, uh, with the trench. You know, um, I've learned a valuable lesson. I hope the human race doesn't piss off Aquaman. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't drop a big boulder, you know, on our whole species. Um, <laughs> it's like, damn. I mean, I, I really had to go back and reread. I'm like, did he just commit genocide? Kind of. Oh. Yeah. Well, he didn't necessarily. Yeah, he did. He didn't necessarily kill them all. He trapped them all in that trench. Um, although, although you could argue they'll just slowly starve to death. So. I mean, there's no food down there. No they took death. the food. <laughs> they'll just they'll just eat each other until they die. So another happy ending for Aquaman. It's like it's like locking a dog in a kennel with no food. Yeah. And leaving oh, him and going, well, he's awful. not dead. Yeah, that's true. That's all. Ooh, that's awful. Yeah, he he committed genocide. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. I I don't necessarily have a problem with it because I mean they were vicious creatures that were going to exterminate the human race. Right. So you know, but um, <laughs> insert political joke here. Oh, geez. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> uh, you know, and we talked about the length of the of the story. Now, 
this is going to make a, a great trade. Yes, you know, it if will. They, I don't know if they're going to do a four-issue trade or not, but I mean, it's it really flows well as one big long story because it starts off with you know Aquaman's getting kind of you know crapped on by the people, and at the very end, a little kid, you know, this story, a little kid comes up and says, "You're my favorite superhero," which is it's a nice. That is, book. I forgot to mention that moment. That's a nice. That's a cute moment. So that works out well. But I will say that, you know, if this story had been told in the 60s or 70s Aquaman series, it would have been one issue rather than four. Yeah. yeah. They could have took care of it from beginning to end in one story. Yeah. If it had been the, if it had been the 80s, you know, the, the very heavily influenced, you know, uh, uh, Chris Claremont 80s, it would have been two issues probably, um, not four. I, I still think they could have done this in two issues nowadays. However, we would have been robbed the opportunity of all this gorgeous – Gorgeous Ivan Reese, Joe Prado, you know, artwork. Yep. And I'm, and I'm glad that we got to see it. And also there's some good character moments. But um, it did, it, you know, even though this issue's great, it, it, there's still three issues earlier that kind of dragged. So, um, I don't know if you noticed this, there are 22 pages in this comic. Yes, yeah, it was, that was nice too, to get a full... I am not a fan of these previews that they do, that DC does, with it's like eight pages of another book. I, you know, to me, I'm like, I don't know. If, if I want to read uh, Batman Noel, I'll go out and buy Batman Noel. I don't need every single <laughs> one of my comics stuffed with eight pages of Batman Noel on the back. Well, I'm assuming that, you know, the, the whole thing of DC going down to 20 pages rather than 22 was to, you know, sell more advertising or right. whatever. And I, I, I'm guessing it's not working. I don't know, because... Um, because they were putting those no, like those six-page Noel previews in there, yeah. Rather than ads, um, this comic has, I think, two ads, three ads total that are not in-house ads. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot uh, of self-advertising in those book, in these books. Yeah, I mean, you, you pick up Batman: Arkham City, which is legitimately not them. You know, you get Gamefly, you got Milk, um, but other than that, there's really not any ads to speak of in here. Yeah. I just thought it was interesting that Aquaman got 22 pages this month. Firestorm still stayed at 20. So it's not like they gave everyone unilaterally 22 pages. I guess it's they, you know, maybe the comics that are big hitters. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I thought that was good. And they, they were all well-used pages. No wasted pages here, you know? Yeah, absolutely. By the way, uh, if any of you uh, hear a strange noise in the background, <laughs> that's... that's Aquadog. That's Aquadog. That's our dog, Johnny, barking, who she does not care about my recording schedule. So... Uh, <laughs> We, I, I've been trying to edit her out here and there, but sometimes she just will not be denied. So I, I apologize in advance for the strange, maybe the strange sound in the background. I don't think it's anything to worry about. We love Johnny, so <laughs> I'm, if I'm good, I won't bust out into who's Johnny from Short Circuit. But um, thank you. You mentioned we talked about the art for a second. I, I the color palette in this thing is gorgeous. Absolutely, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful gorgeous. looking book. Yep. I mean, the colors are by um, Rod Reese, you know. Um, the, the color palette underwater, I mean, you really get the sense they're underwater. Certain colors are, you know, sort of faded out. Uh, I know from experience, like underwater, for example, um, red is the first color to go. It looks black the deeper you go underwater, things like that. And so Mara's hair is very subdued here. Um, you know, so the underwater palette is beautiful. And then when they come up to the surface, everything's got kind of a rent- reddish tint. Yep. Uh, um, is really neat and then you know and then the sun's coming up so you've got the gorgeous sunrise you know coloring it's just so well done it's just oh, such yeah, a pretty book they're really doing a great job and they're they're real enthusiastic too if you read the interview they're like super super aquaman fans and they're just like so thrilled to be doing this and so it's it's just great all around you know i think as they put it done by fans for fans yeah it's a great interview too folks if you haven't read it that's actually what made me notice the color palette so much when i read this was I had read the interview right beforehand. So, um, wow, just great stuff. And then uh, just want to talk about the foreshadowing here. You know, you mentioned the one-pager of uh, who sunk Atlantis. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the question. Um, and it sank in one night. Uh, I guess it has nothing to do with Atlantis Chronicles. But um, no, I, think that, I think that's gone. Oh, it was such a good book, though. Anyway, um, interesting foreshadowing here that I thought we should mention. The Trench live in an underwater craft that has been crashed up against this volcanic vent for centuries. And Aquaman says here, because um, they're wondering if it's a spaceship or something, but Aquaman says, no, I recognize the language. I can't read it, but the symbols are part of an ancient dialect, right. one, from Atl- one from Atlantis before it sank. Right. This craft's been here for centuries. And Aquaman wonders, what were the Atlanteans doing in the water before Atlantis sank? 
And so I think that's probably tied to the who sank Atlantis thing. Makes you know? sense. Makes sense. Might even be tied to um, whoever the Trident, Aquaman's Trident belongs to. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's a good thing. Questions, questions. We know Jeff Johns so. likes to layer that stuff in, so that makes sense. it would make sense that he would do that. It's like an onion. There you go. And I don't think I've said it yet on this podcast, but Mare's really hot. I think so. you have said it, but it's worth saying again. <laughs> all right. Um, that's all I got on Aquaman. All right. Yeah, well, so, um, uh, there was one other thing that obviously worth mentioning was the week before Aquaman number four was uh, Justice League number four, which was the Aquaman issue. Um, where he makes his day. De- I mean, he appeared in number three in the final page, um, but this was his big issue. And, and uh, thanks to Jeff Johns, he gets you know another amazing moment <laughs> in that book where um, you know he shows up and he's basically like, uh, "Who's in charge here?" And Batman's like, well, "Kind of, I am." And they're all arguing about who's in charge. And uh, Green Lantern says something like, "You know, well, what? Are you, who are you? What can you do?" And then uh, Aquaman pulls has a, a giant shark come out of the water and a shark a, a cartoonishly huge shark i mean a shark you know the size Actually, of a small it's, whale it's a bunch of sharks but well right i mean the one i'm thinking of is in the foreground but yeah, yeah a bunch f- of them come shoot out of the water and just start eating parademons <laughs> which is truly one of the great aquaman moments of the last quarter century because then he basically turns around and green lantern's like oh oh okay yeah <laughs> Um, so, you know, it's, it, I've been enjoying this book more and more as it goes on. Like I thought, I think, I've, I think each issue has been better than the last. It's fun getting them all together. I like the banter back and forth. There's a, a lot more humor in it than I would have expected, which I, I do enjoy. And, uh, you know, they're now, I mean, Cyborg has, by the end of the issue, Cyborg is there with them. He's not Cyborg yet, but he will be soon. And that means they'll all they'll have the whole group, and then they'll be. And then apparently, as of number seven or eight, the book is back in modern times. So, right. you know that'll that'll be very enjoyable too. So it was you know a great couple of weeks for Aquaman. He had a couple of huge moments, and he was you know was on the cover of two of DC's best selling books. Uh, it's, you know, again, never thought I'd ever have a chance to say that. <laughs> there was another part too where uh, Aquaman shoves the trident. Through a pair of demons. Yeah, that's skull. great. It's <laughs> <laughs> like crunch. Wow. Full page Jim Lee splash of that. I'm, <laughs> that's uh, awesome. I'm guessing that uh, that he somehow is confident that the pair of demons are not human. <laughs> Otherwise, he's just <laughs> killing people left and right. But well, uh, you know, they're invading the earth. Yeah. What are you gonna do? He's a practical guy. Um, folks, well, I think that is going to wrap up our coverage on Aquaman number four and Justice League number four. I think we're going to take a quick break. And uh, we'll be back after this uh, interesting thing. <laughs> what a way to sell it. <laughs> well, <laughs> you'll, you'll come back and we'll talk about it some more. Since that day back at the plant, we've been the worst of foes. The silly hero villain thing always brings us to blows. Finally, we realize just what you mean to us. We fall in for both of you, and it's time we made a fuss. Maybe Ron and Marty act as if neither is But when you get together, you make one big dream. We can tell you're into us, you just can't hide what's true. So bring yourselves right over, and we'll get into you too. We could catch a movie, and dinner would be groovy. Go sight seeing a juvie. Hey, whatever turns you on.
There's a place we could go To keep it on the down low And no one ever need know Just think of us when we're gone folks welcome back hope you enjoyed that that song is called dear firestorm love multiplex uh, by bryce jensen <laughs> i love that guy's name that's that's a great that's a great superhero name bryce jensen it's it really is or he it should really be hosting is. a some sort of news show or something <laughs> and if you want the lyrics because some of it is uh it goes so quick some of it's a little hard to understand you can go out to well, firestorm all of it's hard to understand <laughs> You can go out to firestormfan.com and just look up uh, Dear – or just put Love Multiplex and it will come up. It was a post on August 5th, 2010, if that helps. Anyway, uh, it was a great song and it was uh, originally published by Spin Tunes. Spin Tunes uh, put together these superhero type um, CDs featuring various songs from different superheroes. If you go out there, you can also find a whole bunch of other superhero songs. It's really fun stuff. All right. Uh, we've talked about Aquaman and Justice League. Now we're going to talk about Firestorm. So here we have The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, Men uh, by, let's see here. Some people did this, right? <laughs> yes. I wasn't on the page I thought I was on. <laughs> I'm apparently still not on the page I thought I was on. Okay. <laughs> it's at the end. It's one of those tricky ones. Damn you, DC, and your trickery. Curse you. <laughs> All right. Uh, co-plotters, Ethan Van Skyver and Gail Simone. Scripter Gail Simone, artist Yildare Sonar, inker Norm Rapmund, I still don't know how to say that right, colorist Steve Busolato, still don't know how to say that right either. I think you're getting that uh, right though, it sounds right. And then we've got our normal letters, uh, letter of Travis Lanham, the assistant editor Ricky Purden, editor Rachel Glickston, and colors, the cover is, um, Ethan Van Skyver does the cover, and color is by the team of Hi-Fi, so... Um, Fun little book here. Okay, so number four. Just to give you a quick lowdown on the story, uh, the first segment is really interesting. It is about a terrorist uh, arms dealer selling the you know sort of modified Firestorm protocols to the country of Quarak. So obviously in the new DC, Quarak is still their um, default terrorist nation that they use. Uh, it's always been DC's default terrorist country. So... <laughs> Well, it's true. <laughs> They're profiling. Anyway, it, so it reminds uh, you, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Uh, to but uh, it reminds me of an interview um, Tony Isabella did years ago with a, years ago with comic book artist, where he talked about that um, uh, he used to do uh, um, comics for British Marvel British weeklies. That he he worked on them. Every time his every time their stories had a communist. As the villain, uh, he would get complaints from the British editor saying, "You're going to start World War III by mentioning nice. mentioning communists." So he made up a country, then yeah. and he just see, and he his comment was the country apparently was pretty vast and that it fe- it had both Russians and Chinese people as its <laughs> citizens. <laughs> I was like, "That's great that he could just whatever country you needed these people to be from, they're from this mythical country. It was like Moldova or something like that. But that was great. So that's like hilarious. There's, you could probably." cover the earth and all the fake countries that comic book companies have come up with over the years to have bad guys from. Absolutely. Absolutely. Quarak is one that always seems to come around, though. So, um, and in Grand Firestorm, uh, New 52 tradition, this issue starts off with a real kick to the nuts. Um, <laughs> it does. <laughs> the dude... This Explicit dude looked, content. Well, it does. I mean, I'm sorry. This guy, he, he's watching the explosion... And it, the radiation is so powerful, it blows two holes out the back of his that head. That was nasty. That was really nasty. <laughs> I mean, it didn't bother me, but it's just like, wow. Yeah, that, that, was a, that was a pretty amazing moment, I have to say. Yeah. So I, I just, I love how Firestorm, just every issue seems to start with like a big wow moment. Um, so, but, but what these guys are doing, the terrorists are selling uh, modified versions of the Firestorm protocols to other terrorists is what's going on. So uh, then you get into Ronnie and Jason, and they are in human form. They've just defeated um, Helix last issue, and their friend is still hurt. This is the young lady who uh, Jason's in love with. So um, Tanya is her name. So 
they decide they've got two different things they need to do. They need to go hunt down the dog team, um, the remaining members of this gov- black op government group that was hunting them, and they need to get Tanya help. So they split up. And it's interesting here. They even mention um, – they come out and say – Nothing needs to be said. It's like we know instinctively know our particular strengths. And that sort of comes in play here because they instinctively know their powers. That's something a lot of people have been talking about is these guys, they, they know and have mastered their powers with like no time to experiment or education. So here they come insti- right out and say it's part of its instinct. So Jason takes Tanya to the hospital. Ronnie goes off to face the terrorists. Meanwhile, cuts over to um, – I'm sorry, not the terrorists. He goes to go fight the black op government agents. Speaking of the terrorists from earlier, the ones who were selling the Firestorm protocols, they are attacked by another Firestorm, a Russian Firestorm <laughs> this, named Tsar. This book is chock-a-block with Firestorms. It is. There is a lot of Firestorms. So Pozar attacks the uh, arms-dealing terrorists. He turns out that he is Mikhail Arkadin. Hooray! Uh, a character from the original Firestorm series, uh, or I should say Volume 2, but the original Firestorm continuity. He was the Russian uh, element of Firestorm back in the day. So, Mikhail battles uh, another Firestorm. So, you get four Firestorms in this comic. Price of one. <laughs> Jason, Ronnie, Mikhail, and this arms dealer who turns out had experimented on himself as well. And we see some interesting usage of the Firestorm powers here. You know, Mikhail um, creates this giant Russian scythe, you know, because the, you know, the scythe and the hammer is the old, or sickle and the hammer is the old Russian you know, Soviet symbols. He creates a giant sickle and spears the guy, which is great. The other guy, um, I, the other Firestorm, the, the terrorist one, I think he's using magnetic powers. It's kind of hard to tell but because he's not around all that long. So anyway, you, there's a neat battle between Mikhail and this uh, terrorist, and the terrorist is taken out completely. And we find out that Mikhail also was one of the people that worked with Martin Stein on developing the Firestorm protocols. Right. So it turns out Martin wasn't working alone. Ronnie faces off against the government agents, has a really cool battle. There's some really great art in this scene, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, he faces off against some of the, the government a- black ops agents. It's true. The point of what they're trying to do is they're trying to rescue their parents. And Ronnie is confronted by Zither, who we've talked about in previous episodes. She, in fact, shows up and offers to help Ronnie. She says she wants to be his friend and help him. So that this plays is- out. Uh, there's a really nice panel. I, I don't want to interrupt you, but there was a really nice panel with Zither. I'm trying to find what page it was, but it's like she's where she's draped in shadow. Yeah. Oh, the, she's the, inside. the, the she's one. Inside the yeah, the one where it lands. It's uh, page 16, I think, where she says, "Your mother is safe, Raymond," and her hand is sticking out. It's just like a nice, just a nicely done panel, you know. Just yeah. Like, for for a book that's kind of as balls out as Firestorm is. It's, it's and I like it when they do some, you know, just shake it up a little. Like I mentioned in the last issue. Um, mm-hmm. So just, you know, I just wanted to just – may, you made me think of that as soon as you said it. And I've thought about your comment um, since then too. And, and, and here too, it, it's sort of symbolizing too she's always in the shadows manipulating things. Right. Cause That's a good idea, yeah. Because oh, yeah. even though she's here offering to help Ronnie, she's – controlling all this she's the one that arranged the parents to be kidnapped she's the one who sent helix after them so i mean she's pretending to be the friend to ronnie and jason when in reality she's the one who's manipulating all this too so um it's sort of like uh you know when your enemy tries to be your best friend sort of thing meanwhile we see jason at the hospital with tanya uh jason does some really interesting things with his powers um he actually she's got a bullet lodged in her brain as well as some um, bone matter and he uses his Firestorm powers while he's still in human form. He doesn't even transform into his Firestorm form. uses his matter transformation power to evaporate the bullet, basically. Um, he uses oxygen to create a hyperbaric chamber and then evaporates the bullet out of her brain. It's really kind of wild. Um, when did really, he get a medical degree? Well, I mean, it, again, it's all instinctual. So, I mean, that's it, I assume we're going to find – they mentioned it here, so I assume we'll find out more as time goes by. We get to see the Russian Firestorm one more time. He's uh, – dealing with the bureaucratic side of the, the, the Firestorm protocols where he's in trouble now for the, you know, the, the Firestorm protocols are out there since he helped create them. The Russians are saying that uh, he's in trouble for it. They say the only way he can redeem himself is to track down Ronnie and Jason. So that gives us a reason for why they'll eventually have a confrontation. And then at the very end, Zither shows up with Ronnie uh, at the hospital and they offer Jason a job, basically. Uh, Ronnie, they, they, Jason, Ronnie cracks me up here. 
he's all like happy and flying over Zither, and he's like, "Yeah, Jason, you got to meet these guys. They're freaking awesome." Yeah, that was a weird ending. <laughs> so clearly, Ronnie has either been brainwashed or they've just conned him. Yeah, you know, probably the latter. So, um, as always, Firestorm is packed to the gills with stuff going on. Twenty-page uh, book, and there are like seven distinct scenes in here. You know, it's it's very globe trotting. We're dealing with you know Korak. We're dealing with Russia. We're dealing with Pittsburgh. They're all over the place. Um, the coloring is gorgeous. There's a lot of neat color. You, you've talked before about how things just look hot in this book. Yeah, humid and and oppressive and warm. I think it's a nice touch. There's this one page, and it, it was you, you had mentioned the page. Um, it's, it's during the same scene with the helicopter where Ronnie just m- basically melts all the cars around a hotel. And you can just feel the heat coming off the page. It's just really, really impressive. Now, um, it should be mentioned here, and th- this issue is the first issue where Yildar Sonaras had an inker. Previously, he did his own artwork. And, uh, he did, I mean, sorry, he did his own pencils and inks and markers and such. And this issue, you start um, with Norm Rapmund Rap- is doing the inks over Yildar pencils. And I think he does a very serviceable job. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, it's very clean lines and, and very nicely done, and it looks like a, a strong superhero comic. Um, me, personally, I just I miss Yildar Ray's own inking. You know, he inked his own stuff. He had this really, really good way of using blacks. Um, he used a lot of marker. You know, uh, I think the term you use is painterly. has had sort of a painterly feel to it. Mm-hmm. I miss that. Um, again, yeah. Yeah. Norm's work's not bad. It's just I miss what the book used to be. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, one of the things, I think by the thing I liked the most about the Firestorm book was that it looked different than most of the other books. And now, to me, it just kind of looks, again, not not in any way as a criticism of Norm Ratman, who's done other work, you know, very solid work. But just to me, now the book looks more like all a lot of the other New 52s, and I just liked that it had that distinctive feeling to it that, that Ilderay brought to it. So uh, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little disappointed that uh, they felt the need to 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 bring in a bring in an inker and sort of make it you know fit a little more like uh, the rest of the um, the new fifty two. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, if you want to see an example of just amazing work the Ray had done before, look at issue number three. One and two had some printing issues with the darker colors, but look at number three, just gorgeous stuff, you know. And uh, but you know, Norm's our inker now, and he's doing a fine job. So we're going to enjoy going forward. Uh, he certainly has done some really neat stuff in the book. But we were just talking, I guess, about where, where we had come from. One of the things I noticed this issue, it's kind of fun, is that if you've been following along, Ronnie and Jason, every time they talk or think, their word balloons are very unique. Ronnie has red word balloons with yellow lettering. And Jason has, um, I assume it's the opposite. Let me find it real quick. Jason has uh, yellow word balloons with red writing, right? Pretty logical. It's kind of interesting to see, you know, you don't often see a red word balloon. Well, we get two more firestorms in this issue. So we see Mikhail Pozar has, it's a white word balloon, but all the writing's red. And this other firestorm, who is the uh, arms dealer, his word balloon's yellow. So, I mean, it's just, they're making an effort to look like each firestorm speaks in a unique way. So it sort of gets the sense that maybe their voices are kind of strange. Yeah, it's a a nice touch. And each one's different. So that's kind of a neat aspect. Yeah. And I'm starting to suspect that each Firestorm has different powers, too. Because uh, when, when Mikhail builds this sickle, he, it looks like he's using uh, existing material from the, from the plane to build a sickle. And, it even, and then uh, the other Firestorm, the, the, I, don't, I don't have a name for him. He's just a generic arms dealer number two. Um, I don't know. Actually, he has a name somewhere in here, but not a superhero name. So he um, Guy Gardner, perhaps? <laughs> oh, well, I'm going to have to look this up, aren't I? Anyway, he uh, his power, it looks almost like he's using debris from the ship to build armor around himself. So just really interesting. I'm, I'm just really interested to hear more about their powers and what they can do. And again, since Ronnie and Jason are able to instinctually use their powers, it's really interesting. And the fight between Mikhail and the other Firestorm, the arms dealer, is really cool. It's a good fight. It's in the air. They're battling. You know, there's, there's blasts going. There's sickles crunching. There's Mikhail's absorbing his sort of essence, and the guy shatters away into dust, which is really cool. So I really dug that. I guess we don't have to worry that there'll ever be a Firestorm movie because it would cost $400 quadrillion to make. 
<laughs> Don't say that. I, I'm still holding out hope. I'm still holding out <laughs> okay. Hope. So, uh, by the way, that 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 arms dealer Firestorm is his name is Al Farista is is his I guess his last name. Did you like the issue? I did. I mean, like I said, I I that, I, I, I did like that moment with the binoculars and the holes in the head just because it was so. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a fan of horror films. Um, I'm not a big like gore fan just for its own sake, but I do enjoy like really well done, like a really a really well done ghoulish sequence. You know, when you can mm-hmm. really come up with something clever, um, and that was very clever. <laughs> I mean, it just was very really <laughs> like, oh my god, you know. So I did enjoy. I, it was one of those things where I was like, well, what am I looking at here? You know. So um, I did enjoy that, and and. Um, and you know, I, I liked the old Firestorm, so I'm still not totally sold on this whole new one. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it, it's I'm glad that I'm following it. What's going on? I mean, I probably wouldn't be have I probably would not have even been reading it had we not be had we not been um, doing an Aquaman Firestorm podcast because I just was not a huge enough fan of Firestorm to be like, oh, I'm gonna definitely follow that, especially since I dropped so many of the other new Fifty Two titles. But uh, I'm certainly um, interested. Uh, to, to continually following along, uh, and and also it benefits with I know I'll get to talk to you about it. You know that's kind of a fun thing too, is to know oh okay, you know I'm reading this and seeing what's going on, but then I'll get to talk to a Firestorm expert about it, which is to me makes it more <laughs> makes it more interesting to to to, to read. <laughs> a Firestorm expert well, about that? Well, gee shag, you don't you run a blog <laughs> called Firestorm Fan. I don't really think you need to own the title of Firestorm expert. Considering my butt officially kissed, thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's a new year. We're trying to be, trying to have the show in a more slightly friendlier, <laughs> friendlier terms. So, uh, I love this splash page. There's a splash page, a full page splash page of Mikhail uh, Arkadin as poser, and he's torn apart the plane. And just I'm looking at this, and the art is so cool. And uh, he's, it seems like he's got a catchphrase almost, and it's it's only what is just. This is his phrase. It's only what is just. He says that a few times, and. You were talking about the shading and stuff earlier. I really like on this splash page, his pants are all black. So you don't see, like, the definition of the muscles and all that. It's just black. It's, like, absorbing all the light, and it just looks so cool. And uh, what a great-looking – that's a really great character design, actually. I'm really – the more I look at it, I really, really dig that. Um, speaking of other quick, cool moments, Ronnie landing in the pool and causing the pool the, – he landed in the swimming pool by the by the hotel, and it starts boiling – and uh, there's some really there's some, there's some good moments. There's some actually moments in here that really show off some of Norm's uh, great inking. There, there's in the hotel scene. There's a shot where Ronnie is um, he's at the hotel and they start firing guns at him, and he kind of turns his head and says, "What the holy?" And there's just a great shot of him looking sideways, looking kind of perplexed, and lots of Kirby dots coming out of his you know his flaming hair. And uh, he just looks – it's a really cool shot of Firestorm. It shows what Norm Cannon absolutely is capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And um, one, guy, uh, one, of, one of the commenters um, mentioned that there is a scene where uh, Mikhail is justifying himself, as I said, to the bureaucratic dealings in Russia. And there's this old man, politician kind of boss guy he's having to deal with. And it sort of echoes back to this – the original continuity, there was a Russian uh, guy named Zastrow. I don't know if you remember him. He was in no, Suicide Squad as well. He was a, just a – forget the language. He was a bastard. And he was sort of – Mikhail had to deal with him. He was sort of the government spook in Russia that he kept having to deal with. So this sort of echoed back to that where you know this, this Russian dig, you know, political guy is putting Mikhail in a bad position. So that's kind of cool to see that echo back to that as well. All in all, I thought this was a great issue. You know, I've said some positive things. I've said some negative things. Overall, I think this is the best issue we've had yet. I think it's very strong. We've got some great character moments here. You've got Jason genuinely pouring out his emotions for um, Tanya. I mean, he clearly really cares about this girl. And that's one thing. That's the biggest complaint people have had about the series so far is that it does move at such a breakneck pace. They haven't had a chance to have character, a lot of character moments. And you get some of them in this issue. You get, again, Jason and Tanya. You get just a couple with Jason and Ronnie where they're both t- completely unified in what they're going to do, the action they're going to take. I mean, they don't like each other. We know that. But right off the bat, they know exactly what they're going to do. Jason's going to help Tanya. Ronnie's going to chase down the, the, the Black Ops guys. They're totally in sync about it. And uh, it just makes a lot of sense. One random odd comment. It's a lot of 
uh, not religious, but there's a, uh, I'll just ex- use example. Ronnie in the comics at one point says, oh, Jesus. Uh, another point, someone says, Godspeed. Um, Ronnie somewhere, oh gosh, where is it? He says, what the holy? Um, I swear to God. Um, it's just, there's a lot of that in there. I see a theme. And it's all coming out of Ronnie. So maybe that, maybe that's part of his character. Maybe that's intentional. You know, maybe he's, uh, you know, anyway, maybe that's just the way he talks. So I thought that was really interesting. Anyway, I I have said many times before, there is no way you can live in the DC universe and not be religious. (laughs) There just isn't. There's, there's constant, there's, you've got people that you've known personally come back from the dead there is just no. I'm sorry. There is no way you can be an atheist and be in the DC universe. Well, I, uh, I, I wouldn't. Even, you know, I'd, I'd take you one step easier uh, if you really want to talk about it. I mean, the friggin' Spectre. You yeah. Know? I mean, <laughs> he's an agent of God yeah. or Zuriel. You know, so yeah. and not not talking about our own religious beliefs. Just that you know, there's no right and religious the, in, implications here in yeah. the DC. And the, the rules that DC universe lives by, I would imagine that the people are very religious because there is constant. Reminders again and again and again of otherworldly life. So, not so, not not to mention life on other worlds. I mean, it's just, it's a completely different universe. It's 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 you know it's been sort of been gradual when you think about it over time. It's like boy, how completely crazy the DC universe has gotten. They had Lex right. Luthor as president for God's sake. <laughs> and by the way, don't don't send emails about religious issues because you know they always say don't talk about politics or religion. We've managed to do both in the past couple months. There you go. So uh, <laughs> we don't need to go too far into that, folks. <laughs> so, all right, that closes out Firestorm number four. Loved the comic. Can't wait for issue number five. Uh, and then number seven and eight is going to be drawn by Ethan Van Skyver himself with new writer Joe Harris. Lots to look forward to. Can't wait. And uh, there you go. There you go. We're going to jump into listener feedback. <laughs> wow. One of these days, Rob's going to put the echo effect on there I've been asking for. You've never asked me for that before. I, you know what? It's on record. It's recorded. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right um, I'm going to kick us off here real quick, and I'll read uh, a couple of comments here. Uh, last issue, we talked about Killer Frost. And we got some follow-up from our good buddy Frank Lee Delano, who runs uh, a million blogs, including Idlehead of Diabolique, and our good friend Luke Giaconetti, who runs the Being Carter Hall blog, as well as uh, he has his own podcast called Earth Destruction Directive, which you can find at twotruefreaks.libson.com. How's that for a blog? And he is also a loose cannon. <laughs> Where does that come from? We talk about that he's one of the Jack and Eddie. Oh, Jack and Eddie. Yeah, that's go. right, Jack and Eddie. We haven't mentioned any of the other trademark catchphrases. I wanted to get the Jack and Eddie thing in at least. Oh, I'm working on it. Don't worry. Mm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I still love it. You cross the line one more time, Jack and Eddie. It'll be your badge. So anyway, all right. Um, Frank left us a couple comments. Frank, by the way, left us the least amount of comments he's ever done. Yes. So clearly, we disappointed him by having a non-controversial enough episode. So hopefully we've mentioned um, religion and swearing and um, guns and girls. Hopefully there's enough here to give Frank something to talk about. So, You know who sucks? Martian Manhunter. <laughs> <laughs> so does the Atom. There you go. Done yeah, and Wonder done. And, uh... <laughs> Detroit. Why bother? And, and the whole Bloodlines miniseries. Yuck. That's the anyway. Okay. Uh, That's in Secret Wars 2. Never mind. (laughs) Frank wrote, I dug the Killer Frost retrospective. I vastly prefer Louise Lincoln since the misogyny angle was seriously played out in the Bronze Age. It sounds like she's going to be Firestorm's Cheetah, a villain whose alter ego gets swapped out in each age but consistently battles the same hero as an identity. I really like that. I I think Frank's exactly right. I think Firestorm is going to, uh, Killer Frost to Firestorm is going to be, you know, as he said, cheated a Wonder Woman or, uh, you know, whatever incarnations they're going to have, they're going to have some version of Killer Frost. And I think he, I think he hit the nail on the head with that. I think that's great. And uh, Luke wrote in saying uh, that he will have to say this. He says, I will have to say this regarding Killer Frost. I did like in the Superman, Batman, Public Enemies movie, the four cold-based villains all had their powers work in different ways. Killer Frost is a thermal vampire. She creates cold by absorbing heat. Captain Cold has a gun that reduces molecular movement. This results in freezing objects to absolute zero. 
Mr. Freeze gun actually generates cold, and Icicle is physically able to generate cold. If nothing else, I thought that was clever. And that's a good point, because I, I kind of, you know, I made a comment about how she often gets thrown into the, the Ice League or whatever, you know, throw all the ice films together. But he makes a good point. Each one had their own sort of shtick, so that was kind of cool. Yeah. You want to go? Oh, jeez. I'm sorry. I was, <laughs> I was waiting taking, for a, taking a nap over there? <laughs> yes, I was. I'm sick. Anyway, um, we got uh, we did get an email from Max Schaefer, one of my favorite people in the world. Um, he talked about uh, Aquaman's appearance in Justice League number four, um, uh, saying uh, Jim Lee has kept the Ivan Reese details of a collared shirt by gloves and curved belt, but added a few other features that I really like. Uh, the best uh, is Wolverine's hair look. <laughs> Wolverine's, <laughs> Aquaman's Wolverine hair look. The Atlantis jewels are a nice touch. And then the chain, kind of like a surfer in their ankle surfboard leash. It makes a lot of sense, and the Sea King needs something to help him hang on to his trident in ocean battles or big waves. That's a neat idea. Uh, and he said, thanks for all you two do, Mac. So th- thanks, Mac. I appreciate the email. You know, I'm really glad he mentioned the chain because I've been wondering about that. Like, I keep looking at it, I'm like, what is that? You know, it's like I figured it was just a cool drawing thing, you know. But actually, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. It's also another item DC Direct could make and sell. Ah, yeah, yeah. They could, they could. Give your so. girlfriend the gift of an Aquaman chain this Christmas. <laughs> I think it has to come with the trident or the belt buckle, one or the other. The guy For the guy, the guy keeps, you know, the, the guy keeps the trident, the girl get the necklace. Oh, so what you're saying is that all women should be on chains or something? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes, wow. that is exactly what I'm saying. I'm not being ironic wow. or anything. Let's just move forward. <laughs> Frank's going to have so much to say. Okay. I uh, want to give a shout-out to our friends on Twitter who helped us uh, promote the, the podcast. Randy Caldwell, who goes by Mr. Perturbed, uh, the amazing bat bass. Um, Keith G. Baker, which is KGBUNC. Alan Mil- Middleton, which is Professor Allen, Alex Giles, which is Moldwick, and Chad Bokelman, who is Cage Gnarly. <laughs> uh, speaking of Chad, Chad sent us a great email. Um, and uh, actually, Ch- Chad's – there's lots to talk about with Chad. Chad uh, is the co-host of a podcast called The Lantern Cast, which is you can find at lanterncast.com. He also runs a blog called corpseconjecture.blogspot.com and, or Core Conjecture. It is a – Corpse Conjecture is a whole, corpse different, that's a whole different Cor- thing. Don't look for that. <laughs> Core Conjecture at blogspot.com. And it is a blog dedicated to Green Lantern and all the different you know cores. He just started it recently, and he gave us a really nice shout-out on uh, Gave both Rob and I and Fire and Water Podcast a really nice shout out, which sure I thought did. was great. So thank you. And he's written us, it's a, it's a pretty long email, so I'm just going to read two bits, specifically about Firestorm and Aquaman. This is what he wrote Firestorm. Shag, I love Firestorm. You know this. I have a damn Deathstorm commission from Scott Collins. But this new book is subpar at best. Ooh. The character development between Ronnie and Jason kills me. I'm a fan of Ronnie Raymond slash Professor Stein Firestorm, but I can appreciate all things up until the end of Brightest Day. I think Jeff Johns was taking Ronnie and Jason in interesting directions at the end of that series. The dynamic that I liked with that was seeing Ronnie and Jason argue between themselves as they were attempting to work together. In this version, they're just there looking at each other and fighting, waiting for Fury to disapparate so they can get back to whatever. And not to mention the professor brought an adult level of intelligence and compassionate understanding that this series is sadly lacking from from my point of view. The art is good, except when coloring or printing issues occur. But the comic is about 75% writing and 25% art for me, and the writing isn't doing it for me. Plus, I miss one Firestorm. Something about Jason Firestorm and Ronnie Firestorm, instead of working together, doesn't sit well with me. Um, that's his comments on Firestorm, or his comments on Aquaman. Um, Aquaman, love it. One, of the two, one and two were strong books, but three, outside of the Mr. Shin scenes, felt like more setup than storytelling. The only good critique I would have is that when I read issue one, I thought, good, Jeff got the crap that people toss Aquaman out of the way and dealt with. Sorry, good, Jeff got the crap that people toss at Aquaman out of the way and dealt with it. Now we can move on to showing how badass he is. Then in issue two, the cops questioned Aquaman and Mera, and then in three, the sheriff said, well, we'll tell the media you helped, okay? And I was a little deflated. I thought this was dealt with and we're moving on now. One minor, it's just uh, one minor complaint. 
So Ivan Reese continues to be my favorite comic artist in the industry, and I agree with Shag about the Mara page and its colors. It's gorgeous. Um, well, Chad, I want to say thank you for those comments. You know, some of them were strong, and that's perfectly fine. That's your opinion, and I'm not going to say I disagree with all of it. Um, and uh, you know, I appreciate I appreciate you sharing your opinion, and I think it shows. You know, it's important to realize there's other people out there that this book may not be their cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, uh, he he wrote elsewhere in the email, but what you know, he asked me what do I thought of what I thought about the the moment about the media, you know, kind of running him down a little still. And I thought, well, you know, it's not all going to get solved in a couple issues, and and you know, you can just reduce it bits and bits over time. Um, I, I I'd be surprised that he could eradicate uh, within the the reality of the book that he could eradicate his sort of bad press in just a couple of issues, you know. So it didn't bother me that they were still dogging on him. Uh, no pun intended, uh, as of the third issue. Because, um, you know, you can just less and less and less and less until eventually it's 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 not an issue anymore. And there's still going to be some people that are going to be uh, haters no matter what. I mean, let's face it. It's Aquaman. I mean, really? Uh-huh. Okay. It's, uh, what book is in the top, twelling, top 20 selling? That's Justice League. Justice League? Yeah, Aquaman. Uh, where's, Fire, oh, yeah. where's Firestorm? Shut your hole. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Aren't you sick? You're not supposed to be talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just going to respond to one more uh, quick email. James uh, Gerten, I'm sorry if I'm mistaking your name. Uh, he's been listening to our podcast. We appreciate that. He had a question I was just going to answer back. He heard me mention Zither, and he's wondering if that's the same character as Skitter in Teen Titans. No, sorry, James. That's just my lousy um, pronunciation. For example, nuclear, n- nuclear, n- n- I, I can't say words. It's apparently what it is, James. So it was not your... Um, your ear's fault. It was my mouth's fault, probably. So, with that said, Slipknot. There it is, folks. Yeah, we got it in just another way. Yep. All right. Um, there are more comments here. We're going to, uh, in the interest of time, we're going to go ahead and stop now. But thank you guys so much, everyone that's wrote in. We really appreciate it. Keep those cards and letters coming. Keep the comments coming. <laughs> I love that cards and letters. We get postcards. Yep. That would be great. <laughs> It's Letterman's old saying, isn't it? That's anyway, right. uh, keep those coming in. Keep the comments coming. The iTunes reviews. Um, oh, was, wasn't there an iTunes review? There was. Oh. I guess we should mention that there was one more iTunes review. We really appreciate that from um, Martin Stein, RIP, who is uh, a.k.a. Robert Gross, who is a loyal listener to the show. We appreciate that. Uh, episode 9 was great. I really enjoyed the banter on this episode. The Christmas approach was amusing since one does not normally think of either Firestorm or Aquaman as Christmassy characters. But the highlight of the podcast is when Jag explains Slipknot to the uninitiated by comparing it to the professional wrestling concept of the jobber. And that <laughs> really is it in a nutshell, isn't it? Slipknot is the Nacho Barrera of the comics world. <laughs> <laughs> now, I can't take credit for that. Uh, the jobber... Uh, came the jobber title came from luke jack and nettie there you go. so uh luke gets the credit for it but we're just getting the word out there for him I so hope, thank you for that oh, i hope if dc ever does who's who again that they that they interject uh, slipknot is the nacho barrera of the comics world in the listing i think it belongs yeah. in there if it's not there i'm gonna get a pen out yeah i'm gonna add it yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um thank you for the itunes review those are incredibly helpful yes folks. they are um they they help the way the itunes algorithms work it helps to move us up the ranks so people find our podcast and uh it helps people it helps build our community of listeners and friends that we're developing i mean all these people that we've been talking back and forth with now since we started the podcast it's great we're building a you know community of firestorm and aquaman fans so i think yep i think it's great keep keep the notes coming folks and we'll keep reading them and uh we'll all be part of the show together sweet so i i think that's going to wrap us up for now rob um next episode we're going to talk about Firestorm and Aquaman. I think so. And Slipknot. That's yeah, a joke uh, we've used before, but I don't really know exactly what we're going to talk about. So there you have <laughs> and it. And it never <laughs> is not funny. So there you go. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell us where you can find Aquaman? As always, uh, the Aquaman Trine, AquamanTrine.com. Uh, you can also find Aquaman Trine on Twitter, which is the Aquaman Trine Twitter thread is like its own little universe, thanks to uh, Trine correspondent and director of public relations. He just got a promotion. Uh, Joe Slab. Wow. <laughs> it's great. It doesn't come with any commensurate bump in salary, but it's still a promotion. Um, thanks to Joe Slab. He does a great job with the Twitter feed. There's also the Aquaman Trine Facebook page, so you can find us all over the place on the web. Ride the wave. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, 
you can find uh, Firestorm uh, over at firestormfan.com. Uh, and you, you can also, we've got Facebook and Twitter accounts, uh, also called Firestorm Fan, where you can follow us through those social media methods. You can find me also um, outside of the Firestorm universe at the Once Upon a Geek blog. Uh, you can find me at The Unique Geek, which is a podcast analyst serve. You can also find me from time to time on Views from the Long Box, which is a podcast, or Once in a Blue Moon, I even pop over on Two True Freaks. So I am all over the place. And I, that's going to do it for today, folks. Talk to you next time. Uh, in the meantime, uh, ride the wave and fan the flame, and uh, peace out. <laughs> That's great. I think we're going to end with that. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair stand for truth and justice in sea on land and air firestorm and aquaman they make a super pair aquaman and firestorm super friends forever yeah anyone remember cousin oliver he may be ridiculous, but you of all people should know that Ace the Bat-Hound is an accepted part of the Batman universe. I wasn't referring to Ace. I was referring to his new nephew, Punchichi. Let me at him. Let me at him, Uncle Ace. I can take Gorilla Grodd any day.